sorry. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Okay, so what we want to do every week, we want to review. This is week seven. And we want to review so that we just know things are fresh in our mind. We know what we've been talking about. We can kind of recall those things. So week one, Bill Bider gave us a background, overview of Colossians, who wrote the book, who the book was written to, why the book was written. Those are all important things to know when you're studying what we hope to get out of this study, why we're doing this study, why we're doing it this way. And uh, so it was just a good overview of the book. Then in week two, Bill talked about the true gospel and how only the true gospel can bear good fruit. And we talked a lot about can a believer, can a non-believer bear good fruit? We said, well, no, because if you don't have the spirit, if you don't have the gospel, you can't bear good fruit. Week three, Tom Lindsay taught uh, verses 9 through 15, 14 or 15, I believe. And it was Paul's prayer for the Colossians. And it was some prayer for wisdom, that they would understand what uh, God had done. We talked about the different types of wisdom and how those should apply to our lives and why those are good things to have. Then Willie taught for two weeks, weeks four and five, on the preeminence of Christ. If you remember, the big takeaway from that was we talked about Christ the firstborn. does not mean he was created. It means that he is over everything and that he is the head of all. And then we talked about Christ as the head of the church. And so that was week four and five. And then last week we talked about that we were once enemies of the Lord, now we're saved. We talked about how we were alienated from God and how God reconciled us and that our alienation was complete there wasn't anything we could do to help that to to recover from that and then our reconciliation was also complete there wasn't anything we could do for that either Christ did it all for us and so this week we are talking about we're just going to look at three verses or yeah just a couple of verses and we're going to talk about suffering which I know is everybody's favorite topic Right? All Christians everywhere want to talk about suffering. Not. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? You're back. Yeah, my back. I'm suffering. Okay. So we're going to talk about that. What we're going to do is we're going to do a topical study because we're only in one verse in Colossians. So what we want to do is we want to look at, and we're not going to talk about suffering generally. We're going to talk about suffering for Christ. So one of the things you want to do when you're studying is you want to see what the whole counsel of God says about something because you want to get a complete picture of it. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going we're to look at some different places in Scripture that talk about suffering for Christ. What does it mean to suffer? What kind of attitude should we have? Uh, and hopefully, what are some of the fruits of that suffering for Christ? So that's a topical study. And then, now we're going to get to that topical study. I probably should have put that one first. Is we're going to look at a concordance search. And we're just going to, what you're going to do in a concordance search is we're just going to put in suffering and it's going to list everything. And then that's going to be the jumping off point for our study. Okay. All right, so these are our verses for today. We're in Colossians 1, uh, verses 23 to 25. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, that is the church. 
Now rejoicing and suffering, that's a pretty that's a pretty standard theme in scripture. The Matthew 5:12, Acts 5:41, Romans 5:31, 1 Peter 4:12-13. Those are just some of the ones I picked out to talk about rejoicing and suffering. So it's a pretty common theme. But you notice I bolded uh, a sentence there. And it's a it when you first read it, it can be a confusing sentence. And I think sometimes when we're doing Bible study, we have a tendency to kind of gloss over those things we don't understand. Well, I don't, I don't get that. It's in God's word. I trust God's word. I'm just going to move on. And I think sometimes that can be a mistake. So maybe as we go through this, maybe you're thinking, well, what does this have to do with anything and why do I care? Well, the reason we should care is because you could be in a conversation with somebody where this comes up and you might have the opportunity to explain what this means or what you what your interpretation of it means the other thing is i think is that when you study something for yourself and you figure it out for yourself you really know it you take ownership of it and that belief is a little bit harder to shake so if, if you've studied something you know it you're you're convinced that this is what this says, it's a little bit harder for somebody to sway you from that. So I think that's one of the reasons also that we shouldn't give up trying to figure out what hard passages mean. What we're also going to look at, and this is part of the study, is that if you remember the first week, Bill talked about hermeneutical principles. And one of those is that scripture won't contradict scripture. So somebody looking at this, for, and we're not going to get into a lot of this, but if you were talking to a Roman Catholic, and I don't understand all the theology, so I don't, I don't want to butcher it, but a Roman Catholic would say that you, as a believer, can fill up some merit. Mike, if I'm speaking off topic, please stop me. Right? So there, so there is a treasury of merit, and, and it's not completely full, and you can do things to fill that up. Right? Well, we, would, we would say no. But why would we say no? So the Catholic is going to have reasons for why they would say that. We need to have reasons why we would say that's not true. So that's just another reason for you to be sure about, and particularly in this verse, because somebody could look at this and say, well, that is a contradiction. Paul is contradicting what he said in other passages of Scripture, and I'm going to say, well, no, he's not, and here's why. Does that make sense? Okay, hopefully it does. Um, so, right up front, I'm going to tell you, it's, it's not possible to definitively say what Paul means by this, by this sentence. It is possible to say what Paul does not mean by this sentence. And Paul is not saying that there is something lacking in Christ's sacrifice or his atonement on behalf of his body. I'm going to tell you what I think. I'm going to hopefully show my work, and then you guys can critique me or contradict me after you've shown your work and done your study. You feel free to talk to me afterwards, and, and we'll hash it out. But Paul is not saying that there's something lacking in Christ's atonement. 
Okay, and here's where I'm showing my work. So Paul spends the first eight chapters of Romans laying out his case for why Christ is sufficient. We're not going to go through all eight chapters. But here in chapter 5, he kind of encapsulates his, his argument. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Paul's not saying anything about you have to do this, you have to add to this. Paul's saying it, this is a done deal. So if we were to do word studies, we'd find that all the Greek is, would say it's past tense, it's done, it's complete. It's, it, there's nothing for us to add. Jesus himself on the cross said, it is finished, right before he gave up his spirit. Again, if we were to do a word study on that word, finished, it means, it means complete. There's nothing to add. There's, it's perfect. The writer of Hebrews says, When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So going back to that hermeneutical principle that Scripture will not contradict Scripture, here we have, we have Paul saying, that there's nothing to add to Christ's sacrifice. We have, our, we have Christ saying there's nothing to add to a sacrifice, which should settle the argument. And then we have the writer of Hebrews. And these are just a few places you can look in other parts of Scripture and see the same thing. So this is not saying that there's something you need to add to Scripture. I hope that's, that's pretty clear. And there's other, you'll probably think of other scriptures I could have, I could have thought of that would make that same point. Um, but it should be pretty clear that there's nothing that we can add to it. So what, oh, sorry. I had too much coffee today. I'm a little jumpy. Um, okay, so what, so that leaves the question of what, what does Paul mean? And here's my interpretation of those verses. You are free to correct and to, to tell me. So I believe what Paul is saying is that the ongoing work of building the church and expanding the kingdom always comes with suffering. It always comes with sacrifice. And Christ is not here to participate in that ongoing sacrifice, that ongoing suffering building the church because he's preparing a place for us that he's going to come back and take us to so i think what paul is saying is that as christ's ambassadors we as believers suffer when we expand the kingdom when we build the church and in that respect we are filling up what is lacking so it's not a lack of quality it's not a lack of efficacy. It's not a lack of anything. What it is, Paul is saying, he, if I was writing, I would have just said this, is that we are participating in the same sufferings that Christ suffered as we build the church and as we expand the kingdom. Okay? Again, you guys are free to correct, contradict as you study. What's that? You think I'm pretty close? 
Well, Rick says I'm pretty close, so that settles it. So no argument because Rick said I'm pretty close. Okay, but I want to show my work because I don't, I don't want you to take my word for it. So this is why I think Paul was saying that. Okay, in Acts 9.15, if you remember, Paul has lost his sight. He's on the road to Damascus, the bright light. He saw the Lord. Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And so he's been sitting for three days without eating, drinking, or seeing. And Ananias, God says to Ananias, go, go tell Paul, uh, go explain the gospel to Paul, and, and he's going to restore his sight. And Ananias says, what? Are you crazy? This guy has been killing Christians. I'm not going. Anyway, and this is what, this is what Christ says to Ananias. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And we see that, we see that fulfilled in Paul's life. If you read 2 Corinthians, he has that laundry list of things that he suffered on behalf of Christ. Right? If you remember, was it Antioch or Laconium where he got stoned and left for dead? Anyway, one of those places, I can't remember, sorry. Um, but he got stoned and, l and left for dead, right? So Paul suffered greatly on behalf of the gospel. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And suffering for Christ's sake and... Uh, in the same way that Christ suffered, was something Paul looked forward to. And Paul was not a masochist, okay? Paul didn't enjoy suffering. It wasn't like, oh, let me go see if I can get stoned today. It wasn't like that. Um, but Paul understood his call, what he was supposed to do, and so he knew that he was fulfilling his call that Christ had laid on his heart to suffer for the sake of the gospel. This is what he says in Philippians. So he's writing and He's in chains. And just, this is free. Um, can you imagine being a Roman guard and being chained to Paul? Is there any chance you did not hear the gospel? <laughs> zero. There's zero chance you're chained by the waist to the Apostle Paul. And this guy's just yakking about this Jesus guy, right? And so he's going to say that the whole imperial guard has has heard. Can you imagine throwing dice in the barracks? Oh, who's going to go listen to Paul today? Oh, you know, rock, paper, scissors, not me. Uh, but this is what he says. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And he's going to go on in this verse, and he's going to say, my imprisonment emboldened other believers to share the gospel. So chains were not shame for Paul. They're, he's like, bring it. Yeah, I'm suffering for the sake of the gospel, and this is all good. This is a net gain both for me and for the gospel. Okay, and so it wasn't only Paul that had this attitude. It was the apostles. This is when Peter and John, if you remember, it's after Pentecost, they are preaching in the temple. They get arrested. <coughs> Sanhedrin calls them in. Uh, 
tells them, why are you preaching? And they said, well, there's no other name given under heaven, by which we must be saved. We have to do this. This is my paraphrase. This is, okay. That you decide whether it's right to obey you or it's right to obey God. So they beat him. When they called in, called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. These guys had the same, you know, Paul came later, but these guys had the same attitude, counted, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And so going back to our thing, I think that's what Paul is talking about, is I'm I'm not adding anything to Christ's sacrifice. I'm not adding anything, but I am filling up on behalf of the church. I'm suffering on behalf of the church, and because of that, the gospel is being preached. People are coming to faith. Oops, I'm missing. Oh, concordance search. Um, Okay, that took way longer, so I think we're not going to do. What I was going to do with the concordance search is a, I was just going to go to Blue Letter Bible. You can do this, or if you have a big concordance, you can just look up suffering, and it will list. It will list a lot, so it'll list every every instance of suffering. And what you can do is you can pick out from there because it'll give like a little snippet of what that verse is talking about. So you can you can kind of tell what's general suffering, what's suffering for Christ, and that's how you would if you were going to do a topical study on suffering for Christ. You could do it. So I want to get to discussion. Make sure you guys have time to discuss. So we're going to skip that. Yeah, that's a good point. Did everybody get that? So since we are one in Christ, we are Christ's body. When the body suffers, Christ is suffering, right? So that's that's another way that Paul would say, I am filling up Christ's suffering because in essence, when a believer suffers, Christ is suffering. Is that what what you're getting at? Okay. All right. So we're going to do discussion. Let's skip that. So take, let's take about 18 minutes or so. Let's take 20 minutes and then um, you guys can discuss and then we'll come back. And then I've got a video and then That'll be that'll be fine. So you guys go in your groups and discuss. Okay, I've got a short uh, video. Then we'll come back. And uh, what I wanted to do after this video is, um, I think suffering for Christ is an inevitability in every believer's life. I don't feel like I suffer a lot, but at some point, if we're here long enough, we're going to suffer. Christ. And so what I want to do is I want to watch this video and then I want us to spend just a few minutes in prayer for each other and for believers that this is a reality for, right? Because, um, you know, we just all need the courage to do, to stand up and to do what we're called to do. So I think this is a good example of that. So we're going to watch this. This is about f- this is about five minutes, and then after that, what I want you to do is just go straight into about another five minutes, 
of just praying for each other that when the time comes, we'll have the courage to suffer and suffer well and suffer faithfully for the cause of Christ. And then also for believers where, you know, in India and China, they're bulldozing churches or locking up pastors. Uh, Pakistan, if you guys remember Asia Bibi, right, was on, on trial or in prison for blasphemy against Islam. So it's an anomaly that we enjoy the peace and the prosperity that we do. It's been an anomaly in all of church history. And it won't always be like this. I'm not a prophet. I'm not saying it's going to be you know, terrible persecution. But it, it is an anomaly. And at some point, if we're here long enough, we're going to face it. So just wanted to let's watch the video and then let's go into about five minutes of prayer. And then we should have another five minutes to report back or if there's any questions. So can you? Okay, just real quick. This is what we're going to end with. So this is Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, um, verses 10 and 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely upon my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So that's a counterintuitive uh, maybe statement in Western Christianity in 2019, but it's a reality that uh, persecution will come, but it's a blessed thing when it does. So has anybody just got a burning question? Otherwise, we're gonna have to, I'm going to have to pray and we're going to have to end, so I apologize for... No? Okay. Let me pray for us and then we will go to service. Father, thank you that um, thank you that uh, you gave us an example of suffering, suffering well. Uh, thank you for your spirit who gives courage and uh, just a sense of your presence. Thank you, dear God, that uh, we know that uh, as we studied last week, the battle has been won. There's still skirmishes to be fought but that uh, it is not, um, it's not a losing skirmish. It's just putting down the enemy, the last remnants. And so uh, we thank you for that. And Father, we just uh, pray that uh, if and when, not if, but when our time comes, Father, that we honor you, that we suffer well. And Father, that we can say like Paul, that uh, what has happened to us has really served to advance the gospel. And uh, we just ask that. In your beautiful name, be with our time in fellowship and in worship, and uh, just be honored and glorified in all that we do. Amen. You guys are dismissed.